Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every $20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at Armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Harvey Norman, your SIM-free mobile phone specialists. Did you know phone networks charge over the odds when tying you into their long and expensive plans? Why pay more when you can save by going SIM-free? We have SIM-free phones from as little as €24.95. And we have the largest selection of SIM-free phones in Ireland with all the top brands like Apple, Samsung, Nokia and many more. Harvey Norman, your SIM-free phone specialists. We won't be beaten on price, range or service. Hello and welcome to another episode of Talking Point, Planet F1's very own podcast. In today's episode, we're going to be discussing the uh, absolute thriller that was the 2020 Spanish Grand Prix. And uh, yeah, joining me to do so is uh, the site's editor, Michelle Foster. So I think uh, the big question, Michelle, is did you manage to stay awake for the entirety of that race? Um, I'm grateful to say I did, but it involved a lot of coffee. (laughs) Yeah, I think that was... uh... Uh, probably the case for everyone, you know. I mean, it, it's not so bad, not so bad for us because you know the time zones, uh, the time difference isn't too big. But you know, uh, I think of the people halfway across the world who have had to get up at like three in the morning to watch it, and I mean, I don't think I could have done that to be honest. <laughs> no, it was definitely one uh, for the the hard fans, you know, the people who've been following for twenty, thirty years. They they would have stayed up, they would have watched. But unfortunately, the Spanish Grand Prix was not a shining example of what Formula One has to offer. No, no, it wasn't the most thrilling. Um, but I mean, yeah, let's let, let's get into why it wasn't the most thrilling. Because um, uh, thankfully, there is still some stuff to talk about. So let, let's just start things off with the fight at the front. And again, for maybe maybe the third time this season, it wasn't all that interesting um and that's largely because lewis hamilton was just in a league of his own yet again uh, i mean yeah let's start off with the with the battle between the mercedes boys um because i mean up until the last few weeks we've thought that'd be the battle for the title so i mean obviously hamilton had the upper hand over bottas all weekend do you think that was hamilton being really really good or bottas being uh, a bit off the pace I think it was a bit of both. I think first and foremost, you can't take anything away from Hamilton. He took pole, not by the margin he thought he would, but he took pole position. And then he showed on Sunday why he is fast becoming a seven-time world champion. Um, The guy was incredible. He said it himself. He was in the zone. And you kind of sit there afterwards and think, well, that's a bit of a braggart thing to say. But you've got to give him credit where credit's due. The guy was in incredible form on Sunday. 
Um, and yes, potentially he was made to look better with the fact that Burtis just had a horrendous start and got swamped by the racing points. But I think even if Burtis had been running second behind Hamilton um, at the start of the race, we would have quickly seen why Hamilton is is who he is and why he gets forty million a season. Um, the guy was he was phenomenal and. I think that unfortunately also just highlights Bordas's weaknesses. He showed no aggression at the start. He lost out to Max Verstappen. He lost out to Lance Stroll. And I mean, without being harsh on Lance Stroll, he's not known for being the best racer, but give him a bit of credit. He he can actually start a race quite well. But yeah, Bordas was just, he, he was nowhere on the day. And it just, it, it really made Hamilton look even better. Yeah, it did. It did. It's it was one of those weekends for Hamilton. You know, he has them a lot. Um, where when he's on it, he just seems to be so far ahead of his teammate. Um, I mean, he's done that throughout his career, really. Obviously, Nico Rosberg, Nico Rosberg got the upper hand on him um, in 2016, but I don't know. I think that was largely a, a kind of mental fight, along with the fact that Hamilton had some dodgy reliability. But um, I mean, it's just it's hard to see. Bottas getting near Hamilton over the course of a season, isn't it? I mean, we spoke about it at the start of the year thinking, oh, maybe Bottas is finally going to do it. But I don't know, you look at weekends like this, like Hungary, like um, the first race at Silverstone, and it's just Bottas isn't the man to take the fight to Lewis, is he? No, unfortunately not. Um, I think pretty much the story of pre-season over the last couple of years in Formula One has been this is the year Bottas can fight Hamilton and this is the year that Ferrari can fight Mercedes. And we've all seen how that worked out. It doesn't at all, unfortunately. Uh, The title's done. I mean, he is... 30-odd points ahead of of Max Verstappen. I think it's 37 now. He's 40-odd ahead of Bottas in the same car. Uh, I think we should just hand Hamilton the title and ask him if he could just quietly go and sit in a corner and and let's see what happens if he's not in the game. (laughs) At this rate, he's going to pick it up pretty early and I'd have no issues with him picking it up, being happy, and then sitting the rest of the season out so we can... Because, I mean, you get rid of him and it's pretty pretty tight between uh, Verstappen and Bottas at least yeah i mean in all seriousness i guess hamilton uh he earns everything it gets all the records that he's breaking all the all the performances he's putting in it was made slightly more interesting again by the fact that red bull seemed to be closer to mercedes um and i think that's worth talking about because obviously last time out in silverstone verstappen ended up with the upper hand over them but that was largely down to i mean temperatures were a factor tire strategies all of that um Whereas none of that really came into play this weekend. And again, his car seemed to be fairly close to the Mercedes in terms of pace. You know, he was, he generally maintained his gap behind Hamilton and maintained his gap ahead of Bottas. So on Sundays, at least, do you think, um, do you think Red Bull have caught Mercedes? I don't think they've caught them, but they've definitely closed the gap. Uh, last time out, it was very much the tyres and the temperature that that helped Max, as well as the alternate strategy. This weekend, he was on the, the same starting tyres as the Mercedes on the soft tyres. And unfortunately, without a strategy card to play in that game, it, it was all Mercedes. I mean, Hamilton crossed the line 24 seconds ahead of him. Christian Horner subsequently came out and said there's little to choose between the two of them. But 24 seconds on the day, 37 points in the championship. 
Uh, I think there's still a lot to choose between the two of them. Red Bull and Max still have some way to go, but at least they're trying. You know, you really do feel like they're trying where sometimes you got to sit there with Ferrari and, and wonder if they've actually just given up. Yeah, I mean, we'll get on to that in a second, but I think on face value, it definitely looks to be the case. Yeah, just going back to Verstappen, I mean, for the entirety of this season, it's been him being the lone man the fight to Mercedes uh, to be honest um, you know Alex Albon uh, I, I don't think he deserves to be dropped but he hasn't been on Verstappen's pace hasn't been making it 2v2 at the front and maybe for the first real time this season we kind of saw saw Verstappen's frustration at that you know he was on the team radio um, not complaining but he sounded yeah he sounded a bit annoyed that you know he was in that situation again um, I mean <laughs> I don't know you, you do have to wonder what it must, what it, why he's why he's that far ahead of Albon, you know? Do you think the car's built for him, or do you think he's just that good? I think it's a combination of both. I mean, there's no two ways about it. Max Verstappen is that good, and if it wasn't for Lewis Hamilton, or more to the point, perhaps to say, if it wasn't for the Mercedes car and what they're able to do with that, Max Verstappen would be a world champion by now. He has that ability in him, uh, whereas. Well, I mean, we don't really know if Alex Albon does. You kind of got the feeling on Sunday, the fact that Red Bull put him out on hard tires um, and let him run a couple of laps on those before they decided to put Max, that they were unfortunately using Alex to tire test for Max to see if the hard tires could have the pace um, that maybe they could have put Max onto onto a one-stop strategy. So I kind of I felt really sorry for Albert in that one. I mean, he's he's already struggling. Life's not going too great, uh, and then he gets used to tire test in a Grand Prix. But at the same time, he he's no Max Verstappen. It's as simple as that. It's like Valtteri Bordas is no Lewis Hamilton. It just it is what it is. But in Red Bull's case, they really do need a second driver who's going to be stronger. And at the moment, that driver's not Alex. It's true. It's If you look at Mercedes, I think Bottas is very much staying there longer to be a, a number two. But, you know, with, with the car they build, it's not really a problem for them because, you know, as long as he does enough to, you know, get the podiums, then they're still going to win both titles, uh, most likely. And he doesn't cause any problems, unlike Nico Rosberg. So I think that's perfectly understandable, keeping Bottas. But Red Bull, they don't have that car. Um, and I don't think they can really afford to have a clear-cut number two who just, you know, kind of, I don't know, rear guns, helps out Verstappen, ends up eighth, you know, usually around that position. So... Obviously, Albon's still very young, but do you think Red Bull are happy with the situation they're in at the moment with Albon not challenging Verstappen? I mean, obviously, it doesn't cause problems like Verstappen versus Ricardo did in the end. But yeah, like you said, it means that they can't be really taking the fight to Mercedes at the front. Yeah, I, I would like to think that they'd rather have a situation of, of a Danny Rick challenging a Max Verstappen for, for every single point. Um, at least then, yes, there might be the occasional incident, but chances are you'd have at least two cars finishing in the top four, whereas right now they don't have that with Alex. Um, so, yeah, it's it's a difficult one. You want to say give him time. I mean, Red Bull, unfortunately, are known for not giving drivers time. So you really feel like they've done the dirty on, on their drivers along the way. But with Alex at the moment, 
I don't know. I mean, we're looking at it from the outside. We don't know what's going on inside. And Helmut Marco has come out and said, as long as it looks like he's improving with every race, then they'll stick with him. But you kind of feel like he's not doing that. But then again, he's not getting the chance to really do that when the team's putting him on hard tires to tire test. I mean, Red Bull are renowned for that, aren't they? For favouring a certain driver, um, basically the one that Helmut Marko likes more. You know, um, I read uh, Mark Webber's autobiography recently, and it's just—it's unbelievable the preference that Vettel got over him because of Helmut Marko. And yeah, I think that's, to be honest, I think that's going to happen whoever Verstappen's teammate is. You know, it happened when it was Ricardo, and yeah, it's going to happen now. It's Albon. I guess the only difference is Albon doesn't cause issues. But uh, yeah, speaking of Sebastian Vettel, he. Uh, he had a better race which I mean he finished P7 and at the start of the season if we were to tell ourselves that Vettel would finish P7 and it would represent a a significant step forward then I think we'd maybe be a bit worried but uh, yeah that's what the situation is Um, but yeah I mean after his terrible doubleheader at Silverstone P7 and a decent haul of points is um, I mean it's progress I guess isn't it yeah, it's definitely in progress, which is, is such an awful thing to say. I'm a four-time world champion who, you know, as recently as a year ago, was was kind of in the, the title fight two years ago, should have been winning it. And now we're kind of going P7, that's great. Here's your driver <laughs> of the day award. Um, it's, it's awful what's going on with seven Ferrari at the moment, and we don't know exactly what's going on. For every time we want to read something into into a comment he makes, I mean, he came out after the race. He was asked, "What does Ferrari need to do uh, to ma- to make things better?" And uh, his very blunt response was, "My opinion is not important anymore." Huh? And that seemed to be quite telling. And then Bonotto was like, no, well, what the driver was actually saying is that he doesn't really need to give us advice for the future because he's not going to be here. But we're working well together. We're definitely working well together. And even from Vettel's side, he's saying, like, nothing's changed. We're all still good and all that. But the the little comments, the little niggles, the little behaviors, as I said, maybe we're all reading too much into it, but it doesn't look like Vettel and Ferrari are, are friends anymore. It's so passive aggressive. They'll never outright say it in the, in, in, to the press after the race, but I think the clearest, I mean, the most obvious time you can see a driver's real feelings is when he's in the car because he's not really thinking about the politics or the uh, PR training or anything. And yeah, we got that again uh, this week. Yeah, I, I, I just have to mention that team radio where um, his engineer comes on and asks him if he wants to go to the end. And yeah, he wasn't particularly pleased. I mean, he was literally kind of holding the engineer's hand, talking him through how to figure out if they can do a one stop or not. He was asking him, okay, so uh, how many laps left? Okay. What's the pace of the people behind? What do you need me to do? Like, it's kind of surreal when you see a driver, be so clearly the uh, the strategist as well you know i mean we always know that they have a they have a um they have a role to play in the strategy and the setup of the car but honestly it sounded like vettel was the strategist the driver i mean you just wonder how ferrari with the with the resources they have how do they get into that situation where they're needing their driver to teach them about strategy Oh, I do believe it was once bold as the spaghetti culture, unfortunately. But yeah, to hear Vettel actually swearing at Ferrari over the radio or swearing over the radio is very unusual. That's not normally that's not normally his style, you know? But that's just how frustrated he was with the whole thing. 
But it also, it brings to mind the question like, so Seb, he, apparently he's a really good race strategist, okay? We know he, he takes meticulous notes about the car and what's going on and all that sort of thing. So it just makes it so baffling that he is having such an awful season and he just can't seem to figure his way around this car. It just, it makes absolutely no sense. And unfortunately, it makes absolutely no sense to him either. So the frustration is coming from his side. I'm sure the frustration is coming from Ferrari's side because every second article they see at the moment is some pundit of some sort saying they must either break up with Vettel or they aren't treating Vettel nice or, you know, there's some sort of opinion about what's going on there these days, which must be very frustrating to the whole team and also to Seb as well. But it's really, it's like, what's going on? It would be lovely to get a straightforward answer from them, but I don't think even they know at the moment what's going on. Yeah, like you said, Vettel's kind of renowned for his his knowledge of cars and how to handle them, how to set them up. So you just think the problems with that car of his must they must be so severe for him not to be able to have. Uh, he doesn't have any idea, you know. He doesn't even kind of have any suggestions for what it is. I mean, it's not his job, obviously, but he usually he usually does have a pretty pretty good insight into it. So the situation there is just so awkward at the moment. I think you know and. I don't know. We spoke about it a bit last week, but at this point it is kind of, I wouldn't say difficult to see him going through to the end of the season because it is in his contract, obviously. And uh, I'm sure he still enjoys driving that car, however bad it is. Mm, I don't know, maybe. Um, But I don't know, at this point you just look and you wonder why he'd go to the end of the season and why Ferrari would keep him to the end of the season if they could, um, if they could both find a way to get out of it. Yeah. I mean, he's adamant that it hasn't even been suggested. It hasn't even been hinted at or anything like that, that they part ways before the season's over. But then again, he also thought up until the time that he got Bonotto's phone call to tell him that he wouldn't have a car next year, that he'd be staying at Ferrari next year. So just because Seb hasn't heard any whispers, that doesn't necessarily mean Ferrari isn't talking about it behind his back in the behind behind closed doors. I hope I hope they do see out the season together. I hope it comes right for them. I think there's another seven confirmed races still to be run, another four that they're thinking of adding to the calendar, which we'll hopefully hear about before the end of the week. And, yeah, that's 11 races, 11 races in which I really hope that somewhere along the line Sebastian Vettel gets gets a victory. Uh, worst start to a season for him since 2008, but let's not forget that 2008 did yield his first ever Formula One race win. So, hoping, I'm really hoping for him. I think at this point everyone is, you know. I mean, there was a point when he was dominating at Red Bull that – he wasn't particularly popular, I don't think, among the F1 community because he was winning all the time, I suppose. And uh, Multi-21 didn't help. But now, I mean, I think everyone just feels bad for him, you know? Like, he got driver of the day for finishing seventh in a Ferrari. And uh, I know that with that Ferrari, it's a decent achievement. But I don't know. To me, it felt it felt a lot like just a kind of sympathy vote from the sport. It probably was, but I mean, can you blame us? I think everyone's sympathizing with with Vettel at the moment, except maybe Charles Leclerc. I think after Sunday's race, he's feeling a little bit more sorry for himself, but uh, he'll get over that one. 
he will. And uh, yeah, I mean, to be honest, I voted better driver of the day. I mean, you do just feel bad for him at the moment. Yeah, as you mentioned, it wasn't a very good Sunday for Leclerc. He uh, retired with an engine issue. And because of that, Ferrari dropped back down from P3 to P5 in the constructors. I think they're one point behind McLaren and two behind Racing Point. So obviously that's pretty tight. But, you know, Racing Point took P4 and P5. I mean, they've got to be the favourites to take P3 in the constructors now, haven't they? They are. I mean, like you said, they're driving. Sorry, I know they hate to hear it and we, we keep harping on about it, but they're driving a 2019 Mercedes F1 car. That was a pretty decent car, if I remember. You know, I, I seem to think that it won a championship or two and, and a couple of race wins along the way. So you kind of sit there at the same time and think the fact that racing points only have 63 points. I mean, shouldn't they have a couple more? But yeah, I think I, <laughs> unless Seb gets it right, unless Ferrari figure out what the hell is going on in their car um, i think racing point will finish this year third in the championship and then pretty much between ferrari and mclaren for p4 i mean it looks that way and i say mclaren have better pace than ferrari for sure you know so i'd see maybe ferrari finishing p5 which still sounds crazy after so long in the top three yeah just quickly obviously stroll ended up p4 ahead of perez um it was due to a penalty for perez even so stroll's now yeah he's i think he's top five in the in the standings now obviously he's had a few more encouraging results recently strovetto aston martin lineup 2021 it's looking more and more that way um Apparently, something will be signed at the Belgian Grand Prix. So we've got two weeks to wait for confirmation of that. Seb has come out again uh, in an interview with Rolf Schumacher saying that he's got nothing to say and it, it could take a while before he does. But, I mean, 14 days, that sounds long enough to me. Yeah, I don't know. I think everyone just kind of wants an announcement now to get it done with. You know, silly season's fun, but it can these uh a specific rumor if it drags on for this long everyone just gets a bit tired of it i think well anyway i think moving on and a final question i'm gonna ask you is one that i saw all over twitter uh on sunday and it is why is the spanish grand prix still on the calendar yeah it, it wasn't a great race and to be honest it hasn't been a great race for quite a while now you know 2016 was good but uh when max verstappen won his first race but that was that was because two mercedes crashed at the uh, the start on the first lap when you look at other races that aren't uh, on the f1 calendar you do wonder don't you I have to say I've wanted the Spanish Grand Prix off the calendar for, for quite a while now. It hasn't delivered an exciting race in a long time. Uh, the drivers literally know the circuit like the back of their hands. This was really F1's perfect opportunity to have qualifying in a race. Not even a single practice session. Have a two-day race weekend. Maybe even one day. They could have done it all on Sunday. Qualifying in the morning, race in the afternoon. If these lads don't know the Barcelona circuit by now, well, yeah. I mean, they definitely do. They spend their entire junior careers racing around this track. They spend pre-season racing around this track. They know the track too well. Added to that, it's an awful track. It's There's barely any places to overtake. 
prison is blue flag moment said, but like I couldn't move over. It was in a it was in a tight, twisty section, and there was no way that I could move over without actually completely leaving the track to let Hamilton through. And that's kind of how you feel most passes have to happen at the Spanish Grand Prix. Someone actually needs to leave the track for the guy behind to pass. It's it's a boring track. It's no longer fit for Formula One. Great for testing, but that's about it. So if they want to drop something next season, I'm going to say drop Barcelona and give us Imola. I, I don't think you should ever use the same track for preseason testing and for a race in the actual season because yeah like you said all the drivers know it so well um and not just because of preseason testing because they've all raced there multiple times um and yeah it is especially when you look at the practice sessions you're like i don't they just feel so unnecessary i think maybe it will be in terms of the grandstand it would be more interesting i guess with fernando alonso back on the grid but honestly i don't think it's worth keeping it around just for that um especially with so many interesting tracks uh on the calendar this year that at the moment we don't have a place for next year and yeah taking a look ahead to those i mean the next three races spa monza and uh, Mugello. i mean oh it's uh it's gonna be exciting isn't it I am so looking forward to those three races. <clears throat> uh, Spa and Monza, they're my two favorite by a long shot. The fact that we now have Mugello coming into the mix. Um, I think Mark Webber came out saying something to the effect of like, these drivers are literally going to break their necks having to deal with this with this Italian circuit. It's going to be absolutely wonderful. After that, unfortunately, it's Sochi, not exactly one of my favorites. Nürburgring. I've never seen a Formula One race at Portimao. In fact, I don't think they've ever had a Formula One race at Portimao. But after that, it's Imola. I remember Imola from the good old days. I'm looking forward to that. There are some fantastic races coming up. And the fact that the next three will all put Barcelona to shame. I mean, even if they have a boring race by Spa, Monza and Mugello standards, it's still going to be a hell of a lot better than what we saw on Sunday. Yeah, I mean, of all those races you mentioned, I mean, Sochi, obviously, uh, not too excited about. It's just, yeah, not not a particularly good race. Uh, Mr. Putin, if you're listening, then sorry. But, um, but I mean, aside from that, I mean, obviously, the next three, as we said, are going to be great. The Nürburgring at this time of year, I think, yeah, Vettel mentioned that the weather is going to be interesting. That's very true. You know, it's in the, pretty much in the mountains. So I think that could be great fun. And yeah. Portimao I'm curious about because I'm no idea how that'll go but it's new different and yeah which is the opposite of Barcelona which can only be a good thing I suppose well that's that's just about everything for this episode so uh Michelle thanks for coming on always a pleasure Finley thanks to everyone listening at home or wherever you are so we've got a two-week break now to spa so in the meantime make sure to keep an eye on our website planetf1.com as well as our social media channels our Facebook is simply planetf1 and our Twitter is planet underscore f1 also if you're enjoying the podcast then um, please do leave us a review on apple Podcasts. yeah it really goes a long way to helping us out so thanks again for listening and we'll see you soon bye kevin sharkey here If you love my paintings as much as I do and you'd like to see my new collection, please go to kevinsharkyart.com or Merrion Square every Sunday, weather permitting. And from the 1st of June, the Sharky Gallery in New Street Mall 
Malahide will be open seven days a week. For more information, see kevinsharkyart.com. We accept Bitcoin. Sports Social Podcast Network.